The history of Rocky Horror is a history of cinema. For everything you like about Rocky Horror, there was at least one film that inspired it. And we're going to review them all on... Episode Zero! Everybody and welcome back to episode zero, the Rocky Horror Picture Show podcast, where we don't really talk about the Rocky Horror Picture Show, don't we? My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I too am a critic and a longtime Rocky Horror aficionado. Yeah, I've seen it a bunch. You projected it a bunch. I projected it even more. How many times did you say you have proje- the Rocky Horror Picture Show? Of course, mm. is a cult midnight movie musical. It's been running, pandemic aside, more yeah. or less straight every yeah, weekend yeah. since the 1970s. Uh, how many times would you say you projected the Rocky Horror Picture oh, Show? Gosh. If you were to, well, if you were to ha- guesstimate. I was working at the New Art Theater here in Los Angeles for nearly 13 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, I we wasn't do, projecting we... that whole time, though. So okay. maybe only like the last... Maybe no, like nine or ten years that I was okay. projecting. And did you in. project Rocky Horror every weekend? Uh, yeah, I, I typically wrote worked the Rocky Shift every week. So you probably so, so you probably projected Rocky somewhere between four hundred and four hundred and fifty times. Yeah, if, if I did it like every week for nine years, that would be yeah, it's about um, fifty two weeks a year. The four hundred and sixty eight weeks. Yeah, give or take. Yeah. You said you didn't do it necessarily every night, but yeah, mm-hmm. so you so you know Rocky pretty well. I've, I, yeah, I've. I've seen it i've heard it been yeah. a, been around it here and there it's a big part of my life actually okay. um what's your favorite hmm. real change in rocky horror <laughs> oh god <laughs> if you had to pick uh, which one which one really just makes you happy it's it's right in the middle um the the, the one real change actually uh because we we started it on 35 millimeter uh so there was and but we had two uprights that could hold 6k projector hmm. reels that, is, that means uh, we could build up the whole film onto just two giant reels and only have one reel change in the middle. Yeah. And the reel change in the middle that we always did was uh, right in the middle, right after Frank had killed Eddie. Mm. And there's like the trail of blood leading into the freezer and he says, one from the vaults. And he takes off his gloves and we hear Rocky, who is just locked in an elevator, like banging on the bars of this barred elevator. And uh, Frank says, oh, baby. And the reel changes right after he says, oh, baby. Okay. So if you're um, ever watching Rocky Horror and you hear Frank go, oh, baby, know that there's, like, someone in the projection booth going, oh, shit. Well, if they haven't started the next projector yet, you're going to see a couple seconds of black, and they <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> um, but uh, I, after a while, they switched uh, over to digital. We got a digital print over from, uh, from Fox uh, before it was bought out by Disney, and... There were no real changes after that. It just ran straight through. And the audio was different, which was a little weird. How so? There, there were a few lines uh, and a few vocals in songs that were alternate takes. 
when they cleared it up, when they cleared it up, I guess they had to like sort of use alternate vocal tracks to clean it up. And we got the cleaned up digital version. So it was an alternate version. And everybody who had seen this film hundreds of times were completely thrown off guard. Because they they spot those changes immediately. Does it affect anything? Well, it's different. I mean, it's you're you're used to it one way. I recently watched, we'll get to the podcast. Mm. I recently watched uh, Oklahoma. Okay. And I'd never seen the movie version of Oklahoma before. And mm. so I was really excited about it. And then I'm watching it, and it's a movie from like 1954. 54, I think, yeah. Um, I'm watching it, and it looks weird. And I'm having trouble figuring out why it looks weird. Mm. And then I realize this is not at 24 frames per second. This oh, is at it 30. That, it was like that motion smoothing thing? No, no. They shot it. At 30 frames per second. <laughs> okay. But what they did was oh. they had a special like gimmick screening. It was like going to be the new 3D. We're going to shoot films at 30 frames per second. Mm. It was called, I think, Todd A.O. And I don't know oh, yeah. A.O. stood Todd, for. Yeah, Todd A.O. Um, and uh, so they filmed it briefly in like certain theaters. Mm. They screened it in the 30 frames per second. But they actually filmed a 24 frames per second version with the same actors, but it's different takes. Yeah, yeah. And apparently, amongst Oklahoma aficionados, I've only seen the Tadeo version. Amongst Oklahoma aficionados, the Tadeo version is considered, like, better. Like, just everyone was kind of on their shit that day. Like, they would do the Tadeo version first, and after everyone was tired, they do the 24 frames per second version. So the 24 frames per second version, though good, is considered the lesser of the two by many. So when you watch it on, like, Amazon Prime, they only have the Tadeo version. So it looks weird. It looks like you're watching a BBC show, but... Because the BBC is shot in, uh, used to be shot in PAL, mm. which used more frames per second than 30, 24. I think it's, I think I think it's 29 30, point something, actually. Oh, I thought it was it 32. Was oh, no, beta's 32. No, pa- PAL, uh, is, PAL is a digital format, and mm. it was 29 point something. Okay. Um, and if you'll you'll notice if you watch like old BBC shows, everything just looks like it's moving a little too fast. Hmm. Um, and it takes your eye a few minutes to adjust. Um, yeah, that's what Oklahoma was like. That's nothing to do with Rocky Horror. But it was alternate <laughs> versions of the film, so I guess that's where we're going from. Mm. This is a Rocky Horror Podcast. We usually don't dilly-dally this much at the front. The idea behind this podcast is that Rocky Horror, much like a lot of mm. pop culture phenomenon, phenomena, phenomenas, phenomenon, Rocky Horror is based on a lot of films. <laughs> we're, we're delving into the prehistory of an important pop culture phenomenon. Yeah, it didn't come from out of nowhere. It had a lot of films that preceded it, that influenced it directly or indirectly. Rocky Horror in particular is very clear about calling most of its shots. Mm-hmm. It will explicitly reference many films. Um, and I think this is actually one of them. Uh, this We're going to be talking about, in this episode, two iconic adventure movies from the early 1930s, pre-code, very sexy. (laughs) Uh, These are Tarzan the Ape Man and, in a special double feature, Tarzan and his mate. Tarzan, what am I doing here, alone, with you? Perhaps I better not think too much about that. Not a bit afraid, not a bit sorry. Yeah. These were the, the only two that were made before the implementation of the Hays Code. Yeah. Uh, when you get to the third film, which is called Tarzan Escapes, 
fully in in oh excuse me dropping things it's it's in full full force full swing this yeah. k hayes code it gets so a lot less there's, sexy. there's a lot less skin uh there's a lot less talk of sex and sexuality there's a lot less violence i remember and, when uh, i was uh, and when i was young and, and, I, and they're not as good no that's true i remember when i was young i'd been reading about uh, you know i was reading about classic movies like mm-hmm. oh where do i start what do i watch and i read um a review of tarzan and his mate and they referred to uh, Margaret. Is it Margaret O'Sullivan? Uh, Maureen. Maureen. Marina Sullivan. Yeah. Sorry, Marina Sullivan. There's Margaret Sullivan who was in uh, Shop Around the Corner. Yeah. Then there's Maureen O'Sullivan, and there's Marina O'Hara. There's too many. Anyway, yeah. Maureen I, O'Sullivan played Jane in these movies. They they referred to her outfit in Tarzan and his mate specifically as. Madonna would blush. <laughs> and I remember thinking to myself, oh, that, and no, that's ridiculous. And then watch the movie, I'm like, wow, that is skimpy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that does not leave much of the imagination. Holy cow. You're, you're dressed like an Instagram influencer bikini model. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, she's, it's uh, very, 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 very fleshy. These and, and and that second movie, uh, there's even a, a nude swimming scene yeah. where, where she's just naked. Um, I think it's a body double, actually. Oh well, I read somewhere it's a body double, but yeah, it's someone a body, is naked. Someone is naked on screen in a film yeah. from the 1930s, which you know yeah. we, for a while. And they're doing and they're doing like aquatic ballet. Yeah, uh, there's a, a tendency, especially among people our age, who uh, got to see a lot of entertainment from the 1950s, that uh, the past was a more chaste time. Mm. And you can start to make the incorrect assumption that the further back you go, the more chaste it would be. Mm-hmm. No, we ha- we were filthy all along. Yeah. And, uh, and the filth was always out there. Whether or not it was out in the open is the only difference. We invented cameras. Uh, we immediately started thinking about what naughty things yeah, we can put I, in I, front of them. Yeah, I think a horse, a horse running was the first thing photographed. A nude woman was the second. Uh, so, um, yeah, the technology was used uh, for prurient things right from the start. And... Tarzan, these two Tarzan movies were bringing up the prurience because I think that's kind of its primary influence mm. on a lot of cinema that was to come after. Yeah, certainly on Rocky. And, and, yeah, certainly one. on Rocky. And the fact that sex and sexuality, particularly female sexuality, uh, is presented as a very bold and empowering thing. Yeah, this in these is first a, two movies. The, the first two Tarzan movies, the one, well, to be clear, mm. there were actually silent movies. Uh, about Tarzan. Tarzan was a very popular literary we, creation. We say first two, but yeah, uh, yeah. But not, we, not, we these are not the clear. these are not the first two films to feature Tarzan. No, no, no. Uh, um, oh, who, who, who? Edgar Rice Burroughs. Edgar Rice Burroughs created created Tarzan. He also created John Carter of Mars. Uh, Tarzan was a big hit. It was a massive sensation. There were silent movies that preceded it. Some of them started famous people. Boris Karloff was the bad guy in one of them. The uh, uh, the city of Tarzana, California was named after Tarzan because yeah. Edgar Rice Burroughs lived there. Exactly. So the silent era comes to a really abrupt end. Like once they start making sound movies, everyone's like, oh no. And like, there's like a year, year and a half, maybe two where they're phasing out silent theaters and some movies are made silent versions and sound versions. But by the early thirties, sound was functionally dead. And silent, everyone, silent was functionally I'm sorry, silent movie. The exact opposite of what I meant. Silent movies were functionally dead. So a lot of these things were getting remade and rebooted. Tarzan was one of them, and this was going to be a major production right from the start. What's interesting about it is that, well, there's a lot of interesting things about this movie for for its many things that it does well and for the many things that it's really unfortunately a part of. Uh, But 
Tarzan is considered like one of the classic movie adventures of the 1930s. Like it's mm. right up there with uh, the adventures of Robin Hood or um, yeah. Captain Blood. Uh, it's but it actually wasn't the film that popularized the genre that it's in this colonialist adventure genre. Mm. In fact, the movie that was, and this had always been like a hit maker for Hollywood, but the movie that became like the sort of lightning rod for this genre and led to a whole bunch of copycats is a much shittier movie. <laughs> Which was nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards. Yeah, it's called Trader Horn. Not only is Trader Horn a badly told story, mm. not only is it phenomenally racist and we're going to talk about how Tarzan is racist too but compared to oh, Trader Horn yeah, like Trader Horn is just disgustingly racist yeah. um like, and uh, like Trader Horn, Horn is is just far, it's not just dealing with racist tropes like it has yeah. openly racist characters saying racist things yeah and treated as the heroes yeah. as the result it's really gross to watch it's also a safari film in which they actually filmed a lot of real wildlife footage they filmed the death of animals, yeah, uh, get and to, get and to see animals dying on camera. Uh, allegedly, one of the character, one of the uh, uh, people working on the film, died on camera making it, and they kept it in the film. Like it's a fucked up movie, yeah, and and, this... and it's really hard to watch today for a variety mm. of reasons. A, it's racist. B, it's really no, no, exploitative I'm... and shitty. And C, it sucks. It, uh, yeah, it's that, not good. That's, that that's <laughs> you shouldn't watch it for any of those reasons. Yeah, and yeah it's it's. Like, it's not one of those films that a lot of people like to describe as problematic, which yeah. just means, you know, a, a, a well a well made movie uh, and a well told story, but blisteringly racist. Yeah. Or um, sexist or, or sexist. Or one or, of those yeah, many like, things. Has, yeah. Has, yeah. Has, uh, In poor taste, problems. but perhaps there may be a quality mm. that people like to yeah. say, like, well, at least this part's good. Yeah. You can't say that with Trader Horn. The best you can say is, like, the, the footage that they got uh, on location. Mm is kind of is, is it, at least it, authentic it, yeah, yeah it's authentic it's some interesting camera angles in it but it is not mm. worth seeing this movie yeah. for a couple um, of good camera angles it sucks but it was yeah. a huge 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 hit in fact it was such a huge hit that they thought uh, we're gonna do a sequel to trader horn and we're gonna have trader horn this like you know guy in a safari hat and a gun who wanders around killing everything and being racist we're gonna have him we're gonna have him meet tarzan in the sequel mm. and eventually they decided to drop that whole bit and just do tarzan yeah which is probably a good idea mm. uh however in the trailer for tarzan if you look at the original trailer for tarzan the ape man like on the title card it says tarzan the ape man and then in parentheses the Trader Horn of 1932, or something to that effect, and like they'll, they'll even say like more thrilling than Trader Horn. Like you know what? It, they knew that people would compare it to this yeah, other movie this, uh, that was bigger at the time and is completely forgotten now. Uh, Tra Trader Horn had a, a like a sexed up spoof in the 60s. You can get it through something weird video, and they called it a rather predictably Trader Horny. Yeah. Um, hey, that writes itself. Yeah, horny with two e's. So if you if you want to look it up. Um, well, that, that makes it now sound the, like you uh, have an accent over one of them. It should be Trader Hornet. Trader, maybe it is Trader Hornet. Uh, these are all based on, uh, like, H. Ryder Haggard is yeah. a, a rather famous author of these kinds of adventure books. He uh, created where, Alan Quartermain. Yeah, Al Alan Quartermain. Sean Connery um, from League of Extraordinary Gentlemen played that and, and a lot of uh, those books have been adapted to film. Hmm. 
And they're all based in a fundamentally kind of racist construct. It's the colonialist construct. It's the manifest destiny construct mm. that the white man, specifically the white, the Caucasian male has sort of this God-given right to conquer. Yeah. Uh, and and go to all of these places and go into, quote, darkest Africa, which is the phrase they use most just often. Just a terrible phrase. Uh, and, and just to, to, ta- to explore and take yeah. and spread their influence and all this. It was yeah. depicted as being a very positive thing. Yeah, he's going to... The, the, uh, these white heroes, mm-hmm. Alan Quartermain, mm-hmm. uh, Trader Horn, to a, a, only a somewhat different extent, Tarzan, but it's functionally the same thing. They go to this place that isn't where their people are from, mm. and they consider them that they ha- they believe that they have the right to take whatever they want, kill whatever they want, condescend to whatever they want, uh, it, oftentimes mm. you know brutalize and mm. kill whoever they want, uh, and that they will be perceived as the heroes for doing so because we're just so damn awesome. It's, we're, we're, it's really grotesque, we're actually. powerful enough yeah. to, to just inflict death around the world. And, some, um, some stories try to mitigate that a little bit. I've seen attempts to turn like King Solomon's Minds into something that's a little bit... The Stuart Granger version isn't like mm. the... It's probably the best version of that story. And in that version in particular, they try to make it seem like, you know, oh, Alan Quartermain knows that all this stuff is shitty. You're still doing it, Alan. Yeah. Yeah, You're still yeah. fucking and, doing it. Like that doesn't make it okay. And and uh, wouldn't you know it? It still persists in this weird legacy of today. King Kong is most certainly one of these stories. Absolutely one of these um, stories. There's a, a, a conversation in uh, my boss's film, Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, where they they talk about they're. It, the Nazi soldiers and some undercover agents are playing a, a card game at a table where they have a fictional character. Or, or a, a historical figure on a card on their forehead that they can't see, and they have to ask twenty questions. Yeah, and uh, the the Nazi soldier figures out he has King Kong written on his head, but he doesn't know who that is. And he He's doesn't. To he guess. doesn't he has know, to so ask questions. To so he has out. to guess, and he asks all of these questions. So um, it's about somebody who is taken from their home in an exotic locale and taken and put on a stage yeah. for taken to America, taken to America, and owned and ex- by people, and, and you know. Put, put on a stage for people to sort of gawk at. I know exactly what this is. This is the black man's experience in America. Uh-huh. And they say, no, that's not right. Oh, then I'm King Kong. Yeah. yeah that, that's uh, that's the way that scene and, plays and out. And of course um, the joke is that that is right. That's, that's what King Kong is about. That's, that, that was the King Kong story. It is yeah. a fundamentally racist construct. I and, haven't uh, seen the new Godzilla versus Kong yeah. yet, but I think it's fascinating that we have these two monsters one of whom, Godzilla, represents the destructive power of America, uh, and uh, King yeah. Kong, who represents someone who has actually been wronged by America. Mm. I'm wondering if any of that will come into play. I hope it does. Because in, in the previous um, American, like the the most recent American Godzilla films, they haven't addressed it at all. No, in fact, they really ran away from the idea mm. that Kong represented anything bad about America. And it, I didn't dislike King of the Monsters. Mm. I thought it had some fun monster fight in action, it, but it's, it's fine. It, whatever. Mm. My point is this: the part of the movie that made me wince mm. was when uh, a Japanese character had to save the world by feeding Godzilla a metaphor for the nuclear devastation Mm. of Japan, feeding Godzilla nuclear bombs. Mm. And I'm watching this and I'm like, did you think this out at all? <laughs> I forgot what this was all about. Seriously, Godzilla yeah, is a very potent metaphor for the destructive power of nuclear but bombs, the, and specifically America. Holy fuck, yeah, people. We, uh, th- this idea of adventure is all based in these colonialist and racist constructs. And, and, and that persists, comes from that. Um, and that persists in yeah. other stories as well. Yeah. I mean, we Avatar. 
is yeah, very much about yeah. that. It's about, uh, you know, one guy, like, all of these colonialist jerks come to this planet. They're going to destroy it. They're going to uh, mm. rip the resources out of the land. And then one guy ends up, like, becoming greater, a better version yeah, the, of uh, the local people than anyone else, which is yeah. a fundamentally racist premise. I, I don't know what like, what story it was that popularized the uh, the white man goes native narrative, mm-hmm. but uh, that's, that's the story in Avatar. Yeah. A lot of people compared it to Dances with Wolves. Dances with Wolves was just another repetition of that narrative. Yeah. Well, I think, and I think Tarzan is the fundamental mm-hmm. part of it. I don't know if it's the original, but it's a fundamental part of it. The idea of Tarzan as a creation is he's a... If you ever read the novel, they don't really go into it in the movie. Uh, uh, his parents were in a plane crash mm-hmm. or a, a, sh- a ship crash. I forget which one it is. I forget where. I it think is. it depends on which Tarzan. I, you're I'm looking trying to remember at. when the book I, was published. If the pl- planes had actually been like invented yet, but anyway, I, I think uh, in in this movie anyway, I think he's just abandoned. Yeah, well, he, that's the idea. Is that there was his parents died. He was uh, stranded in the jungle. And I believe the idea was there was a plane crash and he was stranded and he ended up being raised by gorillas. Okay. And he was raised to be, and he was the only white person in the entire region. Mm. And by virtue of his inherent awesomeness, he ends up becoming the alpha predator well, it's... Of, of, the, of the region. Mm. And there's something inherently like, oh, so this fundamental premise of the story is that when a white guy is raised in this environment, they instantly become the best of yeah. that you're, you're, region. And that's something kind of fucked up about if, that. If you want to be generous, you could just say it's by dint of his human intelligence and he is uh, yeah. ruling over uh, animals. But he's not the only human in the but, region. But yeah, but, he? but he's but the he's, only one who can again, talk it, to it animals and shit. He's the only one who yeah. can like, he's stronger than everybody. Mm. He's more capable than everybody. He's more moral mm. than everybody. Yeah, he the... is, he represents, it's almost in some respects, you could argue it's even worse than something like Trader Horn, where it's people who actually come to this place fully formed with their full ideas. He actually comes to these, to this position sort of by virtue by of birthright. fate, by yeah. birthright. Yeah. Exactly. They call him King of the Jungle. Hmm. hmm. Uh, in the movies, he's played by uh, Olympic swimmer Johnny Weissmuller. Yeah, not much of an actor that Johnny Weissmuller, but uh, got a good, good physique. He's got a good physique. I think he does a pretty good job with Tarzan. Tarzan mm. is a character who, you know, you don't you don't have to deliver a lot of lines. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's mostly physicality, and I think he plays it. I think he throws himself into it really well. There's a sort of childlike yeah. nature uh, to the way he behaves. Apparently. Um, the, one of the original like people they were thinking of casting for Tarzan was Clark Gable, but he wasn't a big enough star yet, which is oh, hilarious. Uh, and apparently, <laughs> based on what I read, I don't know how true this is, Johnny Weissmuller got the part because he was visiting his friend Clark Gable <laughs> at the studio, <laughs> yeah. and he ended up getting the role. Uh, Johnny, Johnny Weissmuller... Um, I- Big man about town was a well yeah. uh, well established figure in in Hollywood mm-hmm. and uh, before and after Tarzan. Yeah, there were a lot uh, of like he, roles for like burly, muscly men, and you got him like in, him and Buster Crab, and they were just in a ton yeah, but, of different. I think Buster Crab played Johnny Weissmuller played Tarzan in twelve feature films yeah. over the course of I think uh, eight years. Yeah, big hits, and uh, yeah, they were all big hits. And that, then I think Buster Crab took over for him after. Mm. Um, but yeah, he was a man about town. He was a, a well-known celebrity. I got to swim in a pool he designed. No shit. Um, what made it what made it interesting that he designed it? Was it just like it can't just be square? Like what? It, what, it, it was just square. It was square and like it had a, a certain kind kind of um, like gravel. Like it was a rough edges oh, okay. that I guess in a way he liked. Um, oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, at, at the Lafayette Hotel in San Diego, California, which yeah. is where all the celebrities used to stay. That's cool. And. Um, uh, 
like swimmers would go there to train to swim the English Channel, like it was the, oh, wow. the, in the Johnny Weissmuller pool. <laughs> Cool. Uh, yeah, Johnny Weissmuller plays Tarzan. The first third of the, the first Tarzan movie is um, some... Yeah, Tarzan doesn't show up for the longest time on the first it's, one. It's like, Jane's story for the most it's of like it. It's like 38 minutes. Well, and yeah. even after we meet Tarzan, it's still Jane's story. In fact, yeah. the first two movies are Jane's story. They really are, and uh, I actually really like that about him. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea is uh, Jane is a British socialite uh, who has come to Africa to visit her father, who is in the midst of... Uh, a lot of trading deals, mm-hmm. and he has uh, come into information about where there is a secret elephant burial ground. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that when elephants know they're going to die, they all decide to go into the same place. And their idea is, instead of r- risking everything to try to like kill an elephant and take its ivory, there's going to be like centuries worth of ivory just sitting there mm-hmm. We can just take it home with us. And while, yes, that is, you know, oh, burial ground, it is also probably better for the elephants. One could make the argument than just killing all yeah, the new ones. Yeah. Um, like, it's, fair. Yeah. Fair. I mean, I'd, I'd rather that a, a, a poacher take ivory from dead elephants. Yeah, from hundreds of years of dead elephants. Than like, that is, kill that is, an elephant. That is better. Mm. One is less evil than the other. Neither of them are good. Yeah, the, uh, the, the, that we value ivory at all is kind of sick, but uh, there yes, you it go. Is. Uh, but, um, so, his hat is ivory? His boots are ivory? I think his check is ivory. Listen, Whitney, a person who has a lot of ivory is less likely to want more ivory <laughs> than someone whose ivory <laughs> stockpile is low. <laughs> From the Simpsons. Anyway, uh, so they're gonna they're gonna go into this like uncharted region of Africa in order to find this elephant burial ground. Jane yeah, decides but, to go with but, her uh, father, and also a, it's not all that uncharted because people live there. Well, that's true. It, they <laughs> haven't like, charted it. The white people haven't charted it. It's, like it's in, a good point. Thank it's you. like in Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. Deep space. They're right next to Bajor. That's gotta make Bajor. It's <laughs> gotta make Bajorans feel pretty shitty. <laughs> Hey, you're way out in deep space. It's not deep space. We live here. I never actually thought about it. We are occupied by another race. Like oh. there's all there's a lot of traffic. Also, there is also there is in addition to Jane's father, there is a there is a handsome young man who is uh, a competitor for Jane's affections, right. and he's played by Neil Hamilton, the commissioner from the 1960s <laughs> Batman TV series, and and. He looks like Commissioner Gordon. He, he looks does. like a he young looks, Commissioner Gordon. He looks exactly like you would imagine he would look 30, 30 years 30 before Batman. 30 years earlier, yeah. He's good. he got nothing against him. It's just a little distracting because mm. I know him so well from the 1960s mm. Batman. Um, but what, uh, anyway. what, a, what a career that guy. I know, right? Um, but uh, yeah, so they they travel into the jungle and they Pe- it people, takes a long time. People die. There's some really cool mat shots where they're like climbing along cliffs. And they mm. look like they're like thousands of feet up in the air when they clearly weren't but like it still looks cool oh yeah, yeah it's impressive yeah. production certainly um and then they run into this tarzan dude and tarzan abruptly kidnaps jane and jane is like trying to fight him off like who are you you weird creep and then she realizes that he's not going to like attack her mm. he realizes that she's actually she realizes he's actually kind of childish and she starts she, really like having fun. Like she's yeah, actually she, like it instantly has the upper hand here. Yeah, and realizes this is great. Yeah, I everything is safe here. The animals yeah. don't attack. Yeah, this, I have this guy sort is going to protect me. This childish dunderhead who's built like Johnny Weissmuller, and he is my plaything. And all of yeah. a sudden, she is like Tarzan is called the ape man, yeah. the king of the jungle. 
as soon as she's in Tarzan's company, she becomes queen of the jungle. She's in charge of everything. Everything. Like she's, she's in charge of Tarzan's heart. And she enjoys it. This is a fantasy she has so, about so much having agency. Yeah. The, the Rocky, Rocky from Rocky Horror, the like Frankenstein monster that Frankenfurter creates who looks just like Johnny Weissmuller. Um, that's the fantasy. He's mm. the absolute, you know, absolute physical pinnacle of a man, but I have all the power. Mm. And the movie relishes in that. The movie <laughs> knows that this is the fantasy, that mm. women are going to watch this, or men are going to watch this, and they're going to see this relationship, which is not the typical action hero relationship, and go... Well, that sounds just yeah. fun. <laughs> so yeah. bad for me. Yeah. So it's and, uh, it's it's kink. Mm. It's a lot of kink. And and that's even rolled with uh, when you fast forward to something like George of the Jungle. Yeah. Which is you know the the comedy the, the version. slapstick version of yeah. Tarzan. That and, movie uh, still holds up. That movie's funny. That, that ninety-seven George of the Jungle movie. With they Brandon know just Fraser. how stupid that is. They're yeah. having fun I mean, in that movie. And, yeah. and Leslie Mann plays uh, the the Jane character in that yeah. one. Uh, Ur- Ursula is the character's name. Yeah. And. Uh, yeah, she she ends up, you know, living with George of the Jungle for a little bit. And she's just like, oh, and I get to eat mangoes and let's go talk to the Tuki Tuki bird. And she's just having a grand old time. Yeah. And is it is it who's who's the, the, the jerk boyfriend in that? Is it Thomas Hayden oh, Church? Thomas Hayden Church. Thomas yeah, Hayden yeah. Church comes in and ruins everything because, of course, he does. Yeah. Um, he actually even looks a little bit like Neil Hamilton, which is kind of funny. I never really uh, thought of They have like the same square squ- jaw. Squint like, a little bit, I they suppose. Can, they can be related. Hmm. Um, anyway, uh Jane's father and Neil Hamilton find her and they immediately assume that she's in in danger. Mm. So they start shooting at the apes and they kill one of Tarzan's ape friends and Tarzan who had never seen a gun before Mm. is very confused. And then, fucking furious and then he becomes an agent of death he actually becomes <laughs> like he's a serial killer for a solid 10 minutes of this movie where just they're like they get, off they, in a camp they That's grab awesome. jane and then they're like okay everyone let's just let's just get away from the weird jungle dude let's just, and then camp, let's just, just camp here where he'll never find he's us just picking them off one by one he's silhouetted against the distance like a fucking villain like it's kind of cool actually mm. and then Everyone gets, uh, everyone get, except Tarzan gets kidnapped by uh, uh, a bunch of bunch of dudes in blackface. It's, uh, it, it's, it's the uh, the tribe of, of, of uh, pygmies. Yeah, yeah and, a bunch of little people in blackface. Uh, little people, it's, yeah. It's, it sucks. Um, um, there are uh, you know act, actors of color, but yeah, then there's yeah. also right standing right next to them are Caucasian actors who've been yeah. painted. It, that that part sucks, it's, and yeah. um, and of course these people are othered like crazy, and they're mm. treated as these just mm. ab- monstrous villains, and people are thrown into a pit. Like basically the inspiration for the Rancor Pit and Jabba's Palace. Mm. Um, yeah, a, lo- a lot of Star Wars. Uh, mm. take, I mean, just a lot of adventure stories. Star Wars. Mm. A little bit more so Indiana Jones, but the kinds of things that people our age grew up watching yeah. uh, are directly influenced by Tarzan and the Tarzan yeah. movies and other adventure serials that were like cheap knockoffs of Tarzan. Mm. Yeah, and we already talked about some of these when we did Star Wars did episode you, zero. Yeah. Did you ever see the Errol Morris film uh, Fast, Cheap, and Out of Control? No, I didn't see that one. Yeah, the, the, the binding material for that film. It's... It's this rather bizarre documentary about four experts who are experts in really weird things. There's a robotics expert, a guy who's an expert in naked mole rats, topiary gardener. And um, uh, Errol Morris just uh, declares that these people are just all geniuses and genius just looks 
that takes many forms. Mm. But the the binding material was an old serial called Darkest Africa, which was this unabashed Tarzan ripoff. Huh. Uh, but in that one, it's like they they reuse like. For for the African characters, they it's just white guys, but they put on like Hawkman costumes. It was clearly left over from some sci-fi serial. Probably Flash Gordon. Yeah, probably Flash Gordon serial. Um, and it, it's it, when you see those, you can see actually how deeply Tarzan penetrated, like right away. How the the, the Tarzan fantasy became just sort of standard. Yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, mm. one of the gorillas, uh, actually like runs to get Tarzan and there's this extended sequence where um, I think it's a chimpanzee isn't it it's cheetah it's cheetah yeah, yeah. cheetah actually like runs across the jungle and has to fight off you know a lion no, and stuff not a cheetah cheetah is the name of the chimpanzee yeah sorry thank you for clarifying yeah that's Tarzan's best pal is Jimmy Olsen if you will uh, but Cheetah runs everywhere, and there's this whole extended sequence. It's basically like a silent movie where Cheetah's like, mm-hmm. you know, racing across the jungle trying to find Tarzan. They find Tarzan, um, and uh, Tarzan summons with his iconic Tarzan yell, which really is a, a, nothing like that sound. That sound is whoever came up with that sound <laughs> knew like how right, to make an iconic sound. Right next to the Godzilla roar, it's there's, just one of the great pieces of sound design in cinema history. There is a lot. Of unfortunately, we'll probably never know for sure who actually came up with and did that yell. Some have argued that Johnny Weissmuller did it themselves. Some argued that they came up with it in post. Um, I think Johnny Weissmuller did not do that himself. I, I, I'm just saying a lot of people want credit for it. Who knows who actually did it anymore? It's actually mm-hmm. a little, little unclear. Um, but um, yeah, he summons a whole herd of elephants to destroy the village and save. Everybody, um, I'm not 100% on this, but if I were to guess, I, I wonder if they reuse some footage from this movie Chang from oh, the late yeah. 1920s. One of the first film at the first Academy Awards, there were actually two Academy Awards for Best Picture and they were considered equal. There was Outstanding Production, which was basically the best mainstream movie, and that's mm-hmm. the award that the movie Wings won. Wings is typically considered uh, the first Best Picture winner, however. There were two Best Picture winners that year, and the other one was for uh, Most Unique and out- Artistic mm-hmm. Production. Yeah, it's like Best Art Film, essentially. Yeah. That was won by F.W. Murnau's Sunrise, A Song of Two Humans, and deservedly so. That movie kicks ass. Uh, but one of the other nominees, and it's the only documentary or quasi-documentary ever nominated for Best Picture, uh, is a movie called Chang, which is basically another one of these motion pictures. And it's all about like people living uh, in the wilds and hunting animals and killing them on camera, which is really fucked up. But there actually is this very staged bit where they got a bunch of elephants to come in and like rampage through a village. Mm-hmm. And it looks similar. I'm sure it was influenced by it. I don't yeah. know if it's actually the same footage, but it looks mm-hmm. similar. Actually, uh, elephants play a larger role than apes in Tarzan the Ape Man. Yeah, oh, sorry, I bumped the microphone. But yeah, they do. They're, they're the plot. Yeah, and yeah. Um, in fact, um, wasn't this wasn't that plot point repeated in that really rotten uh, Tarzan film from just a couple of years ago with uh, uh, Christoph Waltz and um, Alexander Skarsgård, the one that was made by David Yates? I couldn't remember the, the plots of that movie put a gun to my the, head. The, All I remember is that it was a sequel. It took place after Tarzan and moved back to young mm-hmm. London and him and Jane had to go back home. For, yeah, for some reason. And that, it's, it's basically, we skipped Crocodile Dundee and we moved right to Crocodile Dundee mm-hmm. 2. Like, that was mm-hmm. the premise of that movie and I remember nothing else about it other than the big stampede at the end, which was admittedly kind of cool. Yeah. Like, that's 
it. Everything else about that movie is vapor to me. Like, I know the cast, <laughs> but that's there's, it. There's only one detail that stuck with me from that film, yeah. uh, where um, Christoph Waltz is the bad guy and he's captured uh, the young Christoph heroine. Christoph Waltz is the bad guy? <laughs> yeah, wouldn't you know it? What? What is this nonsense? Should cast him to play Tarzan with a really nice haircut. Um, <laughs> uh, no, there's there's a bit where he, he's uh, like forcing uh, his kidnapping victim to. Uh, I think it was Margot Robbie in it was that Margot movie. Margot Robbie, Robbie. Um, yeah. It's a good cast. Uh, it's a good cast, and that's a good uh, Schmodown question. There you uh, go. But uh, he's forcing her to have dinner. It's like you have to dress nice and have dinner with me in my in my chambers. And, yeah, I saw Raiders of the Lost Ark. I'm doing it again. Ha! Try to stop me. Yeah, but. Shameless knockoff. And yeah. uh, the, the detail I remember is he's like, uh, haha, now you're my prisoner, but thank you for being civilized with me. And she says, screw you, I'm out of here. And she storms out of the room and he reaches across her plate and arranges her dishes before he continues eating. Yeah. And that was something that was actually taught me as a kid that when you're when you're still eating and you want to put your, your cutlery down, you put them down in sort of an inverted V shape. So you could like grab them again. But if you're yeah. done, you arrange them both off to one side. So... The waiter, presumably, will knows know you're that finished. you're finished. Yeah. So he or, put or them the in butler. a V-shape because she's no, coming back. Like, no, they were in a V-shape, and he knew she left, so he reached over and he put them off to the side. Oh, that's cute. I didn't that, that, that was like one cute detail. That's all I remember from that stupid-ass Tarzan movie <laughs> was the cutlery scene. That's one of my favorite things is like a movie where you remember one specific thing in a lot of detail, mm. but the rest of the movie is gone. Yeah. Like it's, <laughs> so I, I, it's one of those things where it's like, now that I'm thinking about it, I can't think of an example, but I know there's a million of those. Mm. Anyway, um... Tarzan saves them. One of the elephants is injured uh, in the big giant climax, and they realize that the elephant is dying, and so they follow the element elephant to the elephant graveyard. But unfortunately, Jane's dad also, unfortunately in air quotes, Mm. Jane's dad also dies, and they bury him in the elephant graveyard. And Neil Hamilton says, hey, well, this didn't go well, and like all the people we had to bring back the ivory are dead, so I'm just going to go home. And Jane's like, cool, you do that. He's like, you're going to come with? Fuck no. no I have I have a Tarzan. <laughs> I'm good. Thank you. And so he's like, oh, oh, I really can't compete with that at all. Okay, I'll come back for the ivory someday. You're cool with that, right? And Jane's like, yeah, we haven't thought out the sequel yet. Cool. And then the sequel came along and we didn't really think that plot point out because well, it's going to be a big deal. Yeah, Neil Hamilton is back uh, as the same character. and he, Two years uh, later, Tarzan and his mate. I think it's. I think it was made two years later, but I think it takes place five years later. So uh, no, I don't think it's that long. No, no, it's not that long. It's not that long. Okay, no, it's a couple well, years, but it's not. I don't think it's yeah. two. But, you're uh, right. but yeah, Jane has been living in complete bliss with Tarzan, and it's in this film. Uh, the first film was directed by W. S. Van Dyke, mm-hmm. um, who directed a lot of stuff. Yeah, it was just very a, prolific. Uh, just a hardworking director. Uh, the sequel was directed by uh, Cedric Gibbons, who is the one of the single most. Academy Awarded filmmakers in history. Yeah, uh, he not for had, directing though. Not, for art direction, he was nominated. I think thirty nine times for thirty nine different films. Mm-hmm. Won eleven times. It's really quite uh, a lot. And he designed the statuette that he got a lot of. Yeah, he designed the Oscar. Uh, That's fucking that, cool. That's an interesting piece of trivia right there. Yeah. Cedric Gibbons is his name. He's a, Cedric Gibbons mm. uh, won Academy Awards he won for a lot, but mm. he won Academy Awards for the 1940 Pride and Prejudice, the 1944 uh, classic Gaslight, 
The Yearling, the 1949 the Little Women, The Bad and the Beautiful, the Marlon Brando version of Julius mm. Caesar. Uh, he was also nominated for films like Romeo and Juliet, The Wizard of Oz, which, thinking back, like, how did The Wizard of Oz lose that Oscar? Uh, Random Harvest, uh, The Picture of Dorian Gray, National Velvet, Brigadoon. You're like, mm-hmm. holy fuck. <laughs> like, what a career this guy mm-hmm. had. And also, he directed. And and he had a famous family. His niece married Gary Cooper, and his son is in ZZ Top. Oh, shit. <laughs> That's weird. Billy Gibbons is this guy's son. That's so very weird. <laughs> what an so, yeah, interesting well, person and family. Yeah, Holy interesting shit. guy. A lot. Of, My very, parents were teachers. I mean, that's nice and all, but how well, many Oscars not, did we get? I'm not related to anybody in ZZ yeah. Top. Well, what have I done? Um, yeah, this one uh, really rolls with the idea. Oh my god, this is that, the only movie he ever directed. Yeah, this is his only directing effort, and oh it's my great. God. It's, it, I mean, again, it's colonialist at its core, but mm. as a movie, it's very well made. It's kind of weird that he didn't make more. Yeah, the, this yeah. one was, was it was a hit, like I don't, I don't really know. well put together, and this one really rolls with, I think, more so than Tarzan the Ape Man. The idea that Tarzan is, we talked about how it's this colonialist fantasy, but it's also a sex fantasy. Yeah. Um, H. Ryder Haggard, the whole her, Sheena, that sort of thing. Uh, those are also sex fantasies. But those uh, are male sex Those fantasy. are male sex fantasies yeah. about a man finding scantily clad women in the woods. And it's, yeah. it's essentially just about sea and flesh and having sex in the jungle. Um, Tarzan is that for women. Yeah. It, it, the, these are Jane's movies, and in this movie, Jane is openly living out her ultimate sex fantasy. Yeah, living in the jungle, nearly naked, yeah. with a nearly naked dude. Yeah, sleeping who worships in, her, worships her, brings her fruit. They get to sleep in these warm mosses. Yeah. She's her entire day up. is just lounging around. Being waited on hand and foot by the hunkiest man in the world, who fights animals to the death for her, like it's and a uh, it's a power fantasy. Yeah, and clearly they have access to soap, makeup, and razors, uh, because Tarzan never has a beard in any story of Tarzan, which mm. I find a little unusual. But uh, Johnny Weissmuller additionally has a cleanly shaved chest and armpits. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, hmm. yeah. Whatever, it's a fantasy. It's, it's we're a all fantasy. Just, we're all just enjoying it. Um, so, uh, yeah, so, so the I, of, I, yeah. a big portion of this movie, or at least a lot of what I took away from Tarzan and his mate was yeah. that it's just great to live with Tarzan. I mean, that's, that's kind of mm. the plot too. So the plot of this one, uh, Neil Hamilton is back and he has returned. He is a new investor spending, he spent all of his money, like his last dollar. It's an important plot point. Spent all of his money on this expedition to pick up all the ivory because Neil Hamilton knows where it is. Mm. Neil Hamilton, like an idiot, like leaves the map with like the big X marks, the spot bit like out in the open and a bunch of people get a head start on him. So they are racing to get to this ivory. Uh, And in also his ulterior motive is he's brought a lot of frilly things. He's brought, you know, silk dresses and perfumes and makeup. Jane out of the jungle. Like, hey, she's been in the jungle for a while. I love that. Not for one second does he wonder if she's dead. Because anything can happen. She could fall out of a tree and like, you know, something gets infected. She could be dead. He assumes she's alive. He's right. But I think it's funny that it doesn't even occur to him to think about it. Um, So he's, so he's, I'm going to find Jane while I'm there and I'm going to, she's been living in, in, you know, the jungle for a year or two. And 
she might miss London. And if she does, that's where I can swoop in and be her mm. silver medal. So <laughs> that's the plan. Look, if, if your gold medal is Tarzan. Yeah. Everyone's just, a silver medal. Sh- just let it go. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if you're going to settle, I've, settle for me. I forgot who said it about the the movie um he's just not that into you the movie. Oh yeah. Where uh, one of the I plots one of the plots in that movie is uh, a husband maybe having an affair with Scarlett Johansson. And I, I remember some critics said you just let that go. You just <laughs> It's, it's yeah, it's a, it's a very dude thing. To say, uh, yeah, well, it, it, yeah. Was, it was a dude critic, but yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. yeah just let your husband have an affair with. Well, that's how, I, that's how I would be if it was just like hey. Um, I'm trying to think of who's mm. who's who's the super hunk du jour right now. If uh, Pedro oh. Pascal, there Pedro <laughs> Pascal, like made the moves on you, I'd be like, hey, go for it. Yeah. Like seriously, if he was oh, making yeah. the moves on me, I'd go like go. I for know it. A, a lot, like, a lot of a lot of couples like to have like, oh, who's what celebrities are on your like your safe list? Like yeah. in, f- fidelity, please. But if if we're gonna cheat, yeah. Do, it's, if this opportunity okay this, arises, yeah. I wouldn't stand in your and, way. And usually the list is like one celebrity or five celebrities. And and my wife and I came to the conclusion is like, you know what? Any celebrities. It's not like yeah. it's ever going to happen. Like, oh my God. If it's I, really rare. It's like, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm in a hot tub with Ben Affleck. He's, but he's, he's number not, six on the list. It's like, Damn he's, it. he's not on my list, but it's like, yeah, Ben Affleck. I would not begrudge you Ben Affleck, all right? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Neil Hamilton wants to lure uh, Jane back. And Jane, you know, she, she actually does like feminine things. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, a dress. I haven't put on a dress and stockings in a while. Oh, these are nice. Oh, that perfume smells nice. Mm. And Tarzan's like comes in and is like, and he's he's talking more now, but he's not like articulate. Mm. And he's just basically comes in and he's like, the fuck is this shit? And Jane's just like, oh, it's girl stuff. And he's like, no, like better when you're naked. And she's like, well, I did too. But and so uh, we live in the jungle. The weather's constant. We sleep under weeds. We just swim. There's fruit is plentiful. Animals help us and like us. Yeah. What do we need well, clothes for? Even, even Tarzan basically asks her, like, why? Why are you wearing a dress? And her argument is, uh, well, women wear these things because they think men will like them. And Tarzan's like, I already like you. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, and of course, that's also kind of a sexist perspective because but, she can wear whatever the fuck she wants. Yeah. It's, she has agency, and indeed she does. But, but it's also it, it basically calls attention com- to the fact that she doesn't yeah. actually need anything Neil mm. Hamilton is offering her. It's c- comfortingly pragmatic. Yeah. So Neil Hamilton is offering her things that ultimately are nice, but she makes a choice and she chooses Tarzan pretty mm. easily. Um, so uh, Tarzan had agreed long ago to bring Neil Hamilton back to the elephant burial ground. Mm. And Tarzan's like, okay, here you go. Here's your elephant burial ground. Enjoy. And they're like, okay, great. We're just going to load up all this ivory. And Tarzan's like, uh, you never said anything about taking ivory back. <laughs> and they're like, well, what did you think we were here for? He's like, I don't fucking know. You guys are weird. <laughs> you guys, <laughs> you guys do Why all you kinds have... of weird shit. You shot my friend. Like, I thought it was pretty cool about that. I only killed like three of you. Like I took you to your fucking elephant burial ground. Enjoy your sightseeing tour. Then get the fuck out. And they're like, no, we were going to desecrate all of these corpses of your friends. And he's like, yeah, you're not fucking doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I really wish you just talked like really straightforward. <laughs> Like, you actually translate what Tarzan here, means. Here, it's actually kind of funny. Hey, here's the burial ground. Yeah, thanks. No, fuck you. Yeah, I can't do that shit. What the fuck you? Why are you taking bones, you fucking weirdo? The uh, the the investor who Neil Hamilton brought onto this uh, thing and who's very desperate. Uh, there's a bit at the beginning of the movie where they're headed towards the region where Tarzan lives, and it's considered like kind of cursed. Um, and like some of the people in their expedition don't want to go. Mm. He just kills one of them. 
And Neil Hamilton is like, hey, hey, hey. Don't don't overdo it. And he's like, no, you just killed a guy. He's a person, you fuck. Like, you just killed a guy. And then later on, when Tarzan won't show them where the elephant burial ground is, he's like, oh, okay. I'll, hey, this you know this elephant friend of yours? Bang! Shoots the elephant and says, well, just follow that elephant. Fuck you, dude. That's some fucked up shit. Um... So they're going to take back the ivory. Logically, and, right? Yeah. And, and they they scheme to get rid of Tarzan. Tarzan is actually incapacitated. And he fights animal after animal in this thing. So he fights like a giant alligator in this mm. one or crocodile. I can never tell the difference. Um, I think it's a crocodile, right? Um, it's a crocodile. Yeah. Alligators are like southern United States, right? Yeah. No, it's a crocodile. Big old crocodile. And if I got that wrong, fine. <laughs> I'm going to let it go. Um. He fights off all these animals, sometimes more convincingly than others. And um, uh, it all boils down to, oh, good. So we've got all this ivory and Jane is convinced that Tarzan is done for. She's just going to come back with us and we'll settle for that. Hmm. And then they get surrounded by like hundreds of lions. Like there's a there's another like group of people living in that area and they summon all these lions to kill all these dudes. And I'm like, fine <laughs> go get them <laughs> these guys are assholes and um tarzan has to come in save the day fight the lions uh and uh tarzan does and jane stays with tarzan because, because she's cool there's, she's fine with this this is what she wants what, what i've always loved about the tarzan movie and I, i've seen the first 12 tarzan movies it's been a while yeah. but i watched them like, like those Marathon are all with johnny weissmuller although um marino oh uh, sullivan wasn't all. marino sullivan left after i think the Maybe I'd have to look yeah. it up again. She's not. Um, she's not the whole time. Yeah, no, she, she, they and, replaced yeah. her. And then Tarzan and and uh, Jane did find a son at one point. They didn't have a yeah. son. Yeah, because it's so after the production code, and uh, Tarzan children. and Jane never got married. So mm-hmm. that means they've never had sex. That's what uh, Tarzan finds his son is about. They've never had sex. They will never have sex because they're living out of wedlock. Mm-hmm. So in order to have a child, they had to find one. <laughs> Tarzan and his mate is like a hair away from being porn, for God's sake. Um, like it's yeah, <laughs> and not yeah, long this, hair this, either. Yeah. Very short hair away from being porn. Like it's, it's it's very naughty. It, it, yeah, it, it's it's pretty explicit that this is a sex fantasy. Mm-hmm. It's Jane's sex fantasy. It is a sex fantasy for the women in the audience, mm-hmm. or some of the men in the audience, yeah, I imagine sure. too. But. Uh, it, it, it's Jane is the character we're meant to sort of project ourselves into mm-hmm. and having this, this big dunderhead as our essentially our sex companion. Yeah. Uh, that's the appeal of these yeah. movies, at least these first two movies. Yeah. And uh, I think a lot of people understood this and about Tarzan mm-hmm. and that's definitely the subtext that was being unlocked when we came to Rocky. Oh yeah. Yeah. That is Rocky Hart, the character as well as the film. Having this hunky dunderhead at, at your beck and call. Well, I mean, like Frankenfurter says, I didn't make him for you. Mm. Uh, Frankenfurter realized his ideal sexual specimen, mm. which is someone who is incredibly sexy, the prototypical masculine mm. ideal yeah, full of they... really, you know, carved into marble muscles, yeah, uh, but also do... someone who, you know, 
won't try to engage you in conversation. <laughs> you know? Oh, um, let me look up the lyrics to Julie Brown's hit song, I Like Em Big and Stupid. Mm. Uh, it, it, she actually uses the Tarzan yell uh, during the chorus of that one, but uh, it's... Uh, you, you know what kind of guy does a lot for me? Superman with a lobotomy. Like she, she Thanks, just really. wants, she wants a big, dumb, hunky guy. Yeah. Like, that was a comedy song. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, my, my yeah. brother's out of Harvard. My father's out of Yale, but the guy I brought home last night just got out of jail. That was one of the lyrics. Um, yeah. I, I, Julie Brown is, is a goddess. Uh, I, I love Julie Brown. That is not the downtown variety. The original variety. I like the downtown variety of Julie Brown as well. Just fine. Yeah. But Julie Brown had a different career. The the not the not downtown Julie Brown. Julie Brown, the comedian, uh, yeah, yeah, was uh, unbelievably hilarious. I still feel like you know because they have all these things like, hey, two of the cast members from Scrubs have their own podcasts together now. That kind of thing. I'm like, mm. can Julie Brown and downtown Julie Brown get a podcast together? Or can Julie Brown just be in the public eye? Can we celebrate that she's a wonderful hey, person? I saw a straight to TV Christmas movie with her not that mm. long ago. So with Julie Brown, yeah. Oh, yeah. Which which one? Oh God, it's awful. Um, it? <laughs> oh well, shoot. No, it's um. Oh, oh, dang. Hold on. <laughs> I don't even remember what. No, it no, is. hold on. I can't. I can't leave yeah. everybody hanging like this. Hang on. I'm gonna pause this and I'll come mm. back. All right, and we're back. The movie I was thinking of is called Christmas with the Andersons, which is seriously one of, if not the worst, Christmas movie I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, oh, that's it, so bad. That's too it's bad. About, it's about it's uh, about uh, a family. Uh, who lives like in a trailer and they've got nothing and they're total like you know deep south cliches and then uh they they give birth like in the middle of a co- of a car chase with the cops and then it cuts to like five years later and they never explain it but now they're rich and living in Beverly Hills and have different accents and they've completely forgotten what it's like to not be rich and they become total assholes and then Julie Brown is like their aunt or something who comes to live with them and you think oh this is gonna be about how like Julie Brown does like the Mary Poppins thing and turns her life around no she's just kind of there she's kind of all right. there. Basically everyone in the movie is a real asshole except for Julie Brown and somehow everything turns out okay. It's awful. <laughs> Just an anyway, awful. I could go on this movie forever. We're off on a tangent on we Julie Brown, but but yeah. Julie, Julie, like Brown Julie Brown was was tapping into this sort of widespread fantasy of uh, essentially getting with a dumb guy. Right. Uh, and this is a fantasy this and, is, and this is yeah. turnabout is fair play here because there's mm. so many fantasies. They're very macho, very mm. sexist fantasies about, that have yeah. been per- perpetuated mm. in media and largely in fiction mm. of, um, you know, ah, yes, the the ditzy, yeah. sexy girl Somebody in who, various bikini movies well, and things. You know? Who is, is like, so un- unaware of herself that she'll show off her body and not mm. be sort of aware of, of, like, how naked she is. I yeah. guess that's part of the appeal, I guess. And, yeah. Um, and also, like, she's so unintelligent that she can kind of, I guess, be tricked into doing something sexual. I'm not exactly yeah, sure Which is really gross. It's inherently gross. It's unbelievably gross. I'm trying cool to figure out why it is such a, a, a trope. But yeah, this is, yeah. This is a, a flip of that. Yeah. Uh, uh, and there's we see uh, these sort of, sort of like dumb hunk characters throughout uh, mm. media as well. They're not as common. They're not as common. Uh, but, you know, we, we recently talked about Faster Pussycat Kill Kill. There's there a go. character like that in, in that movie. There um, I'm trying to think of like other examples. It, they're uh, Even in Paranorman, there's mm-hmm. this sort of like 
hot hunky guy who's none too oh, bright. I, well, I think of Ken from the Barbie. <laughs> oh, there universe. you go. Ken yeah. has always come across me like even in like Toy Story three. He's mm-hmm. like he's not he's not the brightest character in the story, is yeah. he? Um, <laughs> he's he's there to look good in those shirts. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, Tarzan the Ape Man and Tarzan and his mate. They are inherently let's just use the word problematic. Mm-hmm. They are deeply colonialist fantasies that often engage in direct racism. That there were more racist colonialist adventure fantasies at the time doesn't Mm. change that. Like, if you put Trader Horn and Tarzan, either of these two Tarzan movies next to Trader Horn, Mm. the Tarzan movies will seem like, like, oh, thank God. Because Trader (laughs) Horn is so unbelievably racist. They'll they'll seem weirdly sensitive in comparison. Yeah, but that doesn't mean they're not racist. No, they're 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 still incredibly racist. No, but they're but they're they were they were big hits. They had a big impact on the culture. Yeah, Edgar Rice Burroughs was a colonialist. He believed in that stuff. That's what John Carter is also about. Exactly. Um, They're they're again. uh, Marina Sullivan's really good in these movies. I think Johnny Weissmuller is actually pretty good Tarzan. And they, you know, they look handsome. The swinging on vines is actually kind of funny because sometimes it looks really cool, and other times it's very clearly a trapeze. Mm. Like it's got like that handle and everything, but they just yeah. wrapped some leaves around it, and it's like, yeah, I'll let you have it. Like <laughs> that's where you have to go because it's cool trapeze stuff. It's just not clearly a trapeze. Um, but um, in any case, these two, and I haven't seen all the other ones. These two are still watchable. Again, there's mm. there's definitely stuff you have to gonna have to get over if you want to enjoy them, or you're gonna have to just say, "I don't enjoy this because this part's shitty," or whatever. My point is that these two might actually be worth watching. Uh, the other ones are just mostly crap. They're, they're you've seen some, all of, some them. of them are borderline unwatchable. Is there is there any of the sequels? Are there any of the sequels that's actually like yes? Mm. Again, at its heart, it is what it is, but. It's well, like the production was good. Like no, and in, in fact, like uh, like if you watch uh, a lot of the sequels to the Universal Monster classics, the ones that sort of stretched into the forties and fifties, and yeah. they just got cheaper and cheaper and worse and worse as you mm-hmm. went. And then like like and they what, got, some of the mummy movies the, is like half that half an hour is just revisiting the previous mummy movies. Yeah, and, it's just like a lot yeah. of clips from the previous movie. Shameless. They're trying to get the same actors back to play the same roles, but like twenty years have passed, and they look a lot yeah. older, and it's, it's just. Uh, not not quite the same sense of fun. And that's yeah. the same thing that's going on with Tarzan. But Tarzan, because they kind of ran dry on ideas, starts going to some pretty kooky places. There's one where Tarzan does go to the big city. There's one that at least where, makes yeah, sense. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they, Tarzan does find a son, and they name the son Boy. The son is just named Boy. And and, and, and uh, Jane doesn't have any better ideas than that? No, it's just Boy. It's like, okay. boy. I love when she's like, and, should we uh, give him like a name with some dignity? Like, no. <laughs> and, and, and golly, I hate, I, I hate Boy. Boy is such a terrible <laughs> idea. It's just, he's like the scrappy do of the, the Tarzan universe. Yeah. And uh, then eventually Tarzan knows where there's a store of like hidden conquistador, conquistador gold somewhere. Okay. Tarzan has a treasure and... Uh, then Tarzan eventually will end up fighting Nazis because you know well, they'll, be, with, they'll be made into the forties like, and Nazis least, invade Tarzan. At, at least he's and, got the right enemy in that. Yeah, one, you know, like that's mm. that's who he should be fighting. Mm. Shall uh, be fighting Tarzan Nazis. fights like a, a secret tribe of Amazon warrior princesses in mm. one one of these mm. movies. That's kind of obvious. Yeah, uh, they they just they're they're not good. They're okay. just ch- cheap. 40s adventure movies that just aren't fun to watch anymore. All right, well, we're gonna be watching next time mm. on. Episode zero 
a cheap 1960s horror movie that is fun to watch. Absolutely it is. Actually, I'm taking your word on this because I haven't seen this one yet. Oh, I'm very well, excited. You'll, you'll love it. We're, we're going to be watching a William Castle horror film called Mr. Sardonicus. Great name. Whitney, give him the give him the log line. Just, just uh, pitch it a little bit. Mr. Sardonicus is uh, it's about a guy in a mask and he's um, he's doing like experimental treatments and he's trying to correct his like something horrible that happened to his face. Mm. And uh, the the gimmick in this one was the punishment pole. Uh, that is near the end of the movie. Uh, William Castle, the director, appeared on screen and said, "Okay." He's done a lot of really horrible things. Should he get away with it or should we punish him? And you got to hold up a big thumbs up or a thumbs down in the theater mm-hmm. uh, to decide the fate of Mr. Sardonic. And we'll talk about this in mm-hmm. detail, but the idea was they would run the ending based on what got the most votes. And mm-hmm. it's one of William Castle was a pioneer in the world of audience participation. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk a lot about that on the next episode of episode zero. I'm very excited. William Castle is a really exciting filmmaker to discuss. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so thank you everybody for listening to episode zero. Of course, we're incredibly grateful to you for spending your time with us. We're especially grateful to all of our patrons. If you head over to patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network, uh, you'll get a bunch of exclusive shows and polls to help decide uh, the content of future episodes of our podcasts at any mm-hmm. tier. And uh, we have a lot of shows. We have shows about Batman, Star Trek, Disney, commentary tracks. We just dropped a commentary track for the movie Howard the Duck. Um, The Academy Awards. We actually have an episode in which uh, we reviewed Trader Horn in full. And and we also have one where we reviewed Chang, which we also mentioned on this episode. Um, Mm. God, I hate that movie, Trader (laughs) Horn. That's just a terrible motion picture on a variety Mm. of levels. Uh, But uh, in any case, we... Talk about all those things. Uh, uh, it's all it's all fun, I hope. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so thank you especially to all of our patrons. It's so late. Thank you especially to all of our patrons. Uh, if you want to talk to us on anything we discussed in this episode, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, or if you want to talk about anything else, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. And we might read your letter on an upcoming episode of our podcast, We've Got Mail. Yeah. Uh, we also, uh, if you can't afford to be a patron, of course, we encourage you to subscribe wherever you find us. Leave us a review. If you can't afford to, to be a patron and you want to help out, leaving a review helps immensely. It just really helps you know, boost us up the recommendations and all mm. of these things. So it helps us out. So thank you for everyone who's left a review, even if it was negative. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Um, and uh, yeah, we're on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. We have a soap store. That's right, soap. Uh, well, I, I don't. It's yours. Well, okay. Well, we, uh, <laughs> me and my wife and partner, M. Lapis da Silva, uh, we have a soap store over on Etsy. Uh, it's called Salt Cat Soap, all one word. Uh, and uh, yeah, we sell designer soaps. Uh, as of recording right now, all the soaps in the store were designed by M. Lapis da Silva, but I have one or two designs that are debuting this Saturday. Uh, however, if you want soap earlier, there is still a sale on some soaps on soaps on soaps? some soaps <laughs> until uh, I think April second mm-hmm. uh, on some of our some of our cooler soaps. We have a sale, so uh, but then new soaps debut on the first Saturday of every month. So check it out on Saturday. We'll post a link. Um, so uh, yeah, we're on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I'm at William Bibiani. No, I said this part already. I'm at, right, still, so, at, still at Whitney Simon. Ah, <laughs> there's always so much to get through mm-hmm. at the end. And until next time, I see you. Sh- Ever in anticipation.